Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wallace, pastor of Redemption to the Nation's Church. And listen, today I'm going to be bringing a message that I trust will bring life and hope and peace to your heart. We need peace in these troubled times. We can find it in the word of the Lord. I want you to call your friends, your family, let them know that this message is getting ready to be preached. I want them to join in and be blessed by it as well. Now hang on to the end. I'm coming back to pray for you and your need. Can't wait to see you then. May the Lord bless you. Let's jump into the word today. Let's go to Acts chapter nine. I'm going to continue today with the help of God's spirit on this thought we began last week called divine alignment. Last week I talked about the people in your orbit and relationships in your life. Today I want to move toward this direction about the assignment of God on your life. We talked about being aligned in our relationships last week. Today we're gonna talk about being Aligned in our assignment. I want to talk about assignment alignment. Look at your neighbor and tell them assignment alignment. And I want you to know this. I'm just, I'm contending for you that you will not waste another day of your life. That we will not waste another day, a week, a year of our life. How, how many just, come on, tell your neighbor this. I, I know I ask you to talk to your neighbor, but I'm trying to break some of y'all out of uh, yeah, reclusivism. Um, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you will die old, but not just old. Tell them you will die full and finished. I could quit preaching right there. I break the fear off of you that you will die incomplete and not finish what God put you on this planet to finish. Somebody holler and thank God that you're going to die full and you're going to be finished. One of my favorite narratives in the New Testament is found here in the ninth chapter of Acts, the first verse. We will read through the eighth verse. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling, shaking, astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless because they heard a voice, but they saw no one. How many ever had an encounter in your life, a season in your life where people who were in your orbit, they couldn't see what you were seeing? Yeah. They saw no one, and Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he did not eat, and he did not drink. Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? I want to talk about your assignment today, my assignment, and I want to talk in the direction of God aligning our lives so that there is a divine alignment for the assignment that he has put on us. Jesus, help us. Amen. You can be seated. The book of Acts. The book of Acts. I preached two whole years out of the book of Acts during COVID. Almost every message I preached during COVID came from the book of Acts. Not every message, but almost every message. I found myself going back to the book of Acts to be reminded of the blueprint that God gave his church when it was first born. The book of Acts is written, as I've told you many times, by the hand of Dr. Luke. 
Luke, who wrote the Gospel of St. Luke, was also an eyewitness to much of what happened in the birth of the early church. And the book of Acts, as it were, is a biography written in the labor and delivery room as the church was born and came forth in the earth. And Luke writes with great detail about the people and the places and the events and the happenings of the early church that accompanied its birth in the earth. And most scriptorians and theologians will divide the book of Acts into two primary bodies of information. They will classify it into the book of Acts through the apostle Peter and the book of Acts through the apostle Paul. And the first half of the book of Acts is dedicated primarily to the ministry of God's spirit through the life of a man named Peter. And after the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, the emphasis and the focus of the ministry of the spirit through Peter begins to sort of fade and you begin to see God work through this man named Saul. And I just want to remind you today that Saul wasn't born a Christian. In fact, according to Philippians 3, his own personal testimony is that he was born a Jew of Jews of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, was zealous enough in the Jewish faith to persecute the church. Everywhere Saul went, he was trying to either incarcerate or kill Christians for following Jesus. Saul of Tarsus actually believed Jesus was a cult leader and that the Christian community was a cult. So he spent his entire Jewish influence attacking those who were living in what the Bible calls in Acts 9, the way. Anybody catch that when we were reading it today? It was capitalized, the way. This is before they were called Christians because they were not called Christians until they went to Antioch. Before they were called Christians, they were called in the way. I love that. How are you living today? I'm in the way. I'm in the bright and shiny way. You can classify camps and cliques and clubs in Christianity, but at the end of the day, we're just following Jesus, living this good life of following him as we follow him on the way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's what the book of Proverbs says. But I'm also glad that there is a way, and it's not just a way, it's the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the people who were following Jesus were living in the way, and Saul spent his entire life, this season of his life, attempting to um, uh, come against and to obstruct and to hinder, and the Greek word is harass. That's what he did. He harassed the church. And Saul is actually on his way to Damascus to incarcerate and threaten more Christians, but the problem for him is on his journey to incarcerate and to uh, harass the church, the Bible said he encounters this man, Jesus, and he falls from his beast and he falls to the dusty road of this Damascus way and he sees a light and in Acts 26 verse 13 while he's telling his own testimony he tells the king that the light he saw in Acts 9 was brighter than the sun itself. He literally saw Jesus and the manifestation of the glory of God was so bright that he classified it in a light realm that was all by itself. He said, I see the sun every day, but King, this was not like the light of the sun. This was the light of the glory of the Son of God. And look what Jesus says when he falls down into the ground. He says, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Now, this is interesting because Saul would have never said, I'm persecuting Jesus. Paul would have said, I persecute the church. But what we find in this text is that when you go picking on Christians, you actually go picking on Christ. 
I need some help right here. When you go assaulting Christians, Jesus takes it personally. That's why you better keep your mouth off saved people. Because when you put your mouth on saved people, you are not just talking about them, but you are addressing the Christ that they belong to. Come on here. When the devil picks a fight with you, he's actually not just picking on you. He is picking on the one living on the inside of you. But I have good news for you. The Bible said greater is the one that's living in you than the one that's living in the world. And the next time the devil comes and tries to attack your house, remind the devil, if you're going to try this, try this at your own risk because you're not just messing with my children, you're messing with Jesus. And the last time I checked, Jesus already whooped your tail one time and he ain't above doing it again. So he says, who are you, Lord? I'm talking about assignment today, but I think it's interesting that the first question that he asked Jesus is not, what do you want me to do? Sometimes we forget that we are human beings and we are not human doings. And I find a lot of people in church are frustrated about their assignment because they want to do something. They want to do something. And the reason we want to know what it is we're called to do is that our worth and our value is intrinsically tied to what we do. But the first question Paul asks is not what do I do? The first question he asks is who are you? You cannot possibly be prepared to know what you are supposed to do until you know who the one who called you really is. The first question when you come to the house of God is not what do I do? The first question is who are you Lord? Who are you? Now this is fascinating to me because this is a man who would write one third of the New Testament. He says who are you? Well by the time he writes Colossians chapter 3 he knows who he is. He said he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. By him all things were made. In him all things consist. By the time he writes Philippians chapter 3, he says he says that I may continue to know him. There's something about this man Paul. It wasn't about what he wrote and who he and what he did and where he went. It was about this lifelong journey of wanting to know Jesus. I want to preach this to the church in a generation that finds its value in what it does for God. I want to remind you your works will never save you. Your works will never qualify you. What you do for the king is not nearly as important as wanting to know the king himself. Who are you? Well, I know who the Lord is. I hope you do. But the reality is no matter what you've seen, many times we act like we know who the Lord is because we cried. Do you know Jesus? Yes. How do you know you know Jesus? Because I cried. That's wonderful. But I cried the first time I saw the Titanic movie. That doesn't mean I know who Jesus is. I want you to understand something today. We oftentimes think we know Jesus. I want you to hear from an apostle who was striped. He was almost beaten within one stripe of being beaten to death three times. He was left shipwrecked. He wrote a third of the New Testament. He was alienated and ostracized. He had a vision of Jesus, was caught up into the third heaven. This is a man who saw things no one else in the kingdom has ever seen. And at the end of his life in Philippians 3, he is still saying this that I may know him why did he say that I may know him not because he hadn't seen Christ but because he knew there was too much in the depth of his person to ever claim he had seen all that there was to see and know all that there was to know and I'm trying to preach to people who go to church on Sunday and think because they worship for one hour that they've seen all of the glory of God your feeble mind will be blown the first time you look at Jesus you will say I thought I knew you but the half has not been told I know Jesus you sang a song that's wonderful but there's more I've been in church 40 years who cares If it was a dead church where Jesus has not been in 40 years, you can't possibly know him. That I may know him. Who are you? 
So before we talk about assignment, the question is not what do you want me to do? The first question is who are you? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus who you persecuted. And then he says something interesting. Why do you kick against the goads? This is an interesting um, idiomatic way of saying, why are you ignoring what I've been trying to do in your life? Goads were put up to keep animals from crossing over property lines. And a goad is like a sharp stick and you would take the blunt end of the stick, drive it into the ground, and the sharp protruding edge of the stick would point back toward the animal or the beast to keep the beast hemmed in. Paul is so stubborn in his religion that he's going to the edge and he keeps kicking against the goads trying to get across and keep living in this life. And Jesus is saying, I put the goads there. I'm trying to help you. I don't want you to keep, keep living in this life. I've got something greater for you, Paul. Why do you keep kicking? I don't know who I came to talk to today. Somebody, and not everybody, because most people who come to church are born again, but there's somebody in here today. You're kicking against the goad. You're trying to jump over a line and get in another place of, of field, in another, in another yard, and God is saying, I've got something for you here in the kingdom. Why do you kick against the goad? And Saul is laying there. The second question he asks is significant. What do you want me to do? Who are you? Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do can only be unlocked in finding out who you are. Hear me, take a note, write it down. Your assignment is unlocked the closer you get to Jesus. The frustration Christians have in not feeling fulfilled is that they are not operating in their God-given assignment and the reason is he refuses to give you an assignment without seeing that your heart is more about him than your assignment. Who cares if you know what your assignment is, but you don't know the God who gave you the assignment? Christianity is full of train wrecks with people who got an assignment but forgot to find out Jesus. The main thing is not how many people you reach. The main thing is not your footprint. The main thing is not your blue check mark. We don't care how many pseudo followers you have. What I want to know is does somebody have a witness of Jesus on the inside of them? I don't care how educated. I'm thankful for education. But I want to tell you that Paul, he found Jesus encountered Saul in the dusty ground of a Damascus road and Twelve verses later, he was preaching. The same chapter, 12 verses later, the man gets up out of the road, goes to the synagogue and starts preaching Jesus. And you would say, calm down, Paul. You need to go to catechism and you need to go to teaching class and you need to go to theology school and, you need, and that's all wonderful. And we got a school and if you're not in school and need a ministry school, you need to come to Redemption School of Ministry. I believe in all of that, but I'm gonna tell you what trumps everything. I wanna tell you what's greater than everything. I wanna tell you what they said of the disciples who got put in prison and walked out of a prison, set feet free by an angel and they picked up the sermon where they were left off before they were put in in prison, they looked at those men and they did not say, wow, those men must have a PhD. Wow, those men are so educated and speak so eloquently. They did not say, wow, they are so culturally relevant. They looked at them and said, wait a minute, they've not been educated. They haven't had time for theology, but we know one thing about them. They have been with a man named Jesus. There is something about them. Their eyes look like his eyes. Their heart burns like his words. I don't know about you. Oh my God, I feel him in this room. I want to know him like that. I want to know him like that. So when the world that is full of darkness is looking for the light, they don't have to look on a television station. They
may find him in us that we may know him. He is laying there in the ground and they say to him, and Jesus says to him, I'm the Lord who you persecute. Paul says, what do you want me to do? Your assignment will be unlocked in finding him. It would be a curse to know your assignment without falling deeper in love with Jesus. I know people who work for the Lord, but don't know the Lord. It's like Saul being king and the Lord firing him from being king but allowing him to sit on the throne. Yeah, that's what happened to King Saul in the Old Testament. God fired him but let him keep working for him. You're no longer the king, but it was years later till the throne was taken away. It's a sad thing when you have a seat but you don't know the Savior. I don't wanna just work for Jesus. I want to tell you something. I want us to be so captivated by him that if the craziness of our world meant that one day you can't gather, and I know some of you think this will never happen. This is America. Keep watching. It's happening. They want our freedom. They don't like our corporate worship. And the reason they don't is because our government is greater than theirs. We are the, I'm going to get on a tangent here that's not part of my sermon notes, but you're going to have to deal with it for a minute. We are the ecclesia. We are the legislative body of the kingdom of God on this planet. What we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And there may be a day when they don't like us coming together and would try to keep us from assembling in our freedom. I want to tell you what you do. I want to tell you what you do when COVID hits. I want to tell you what you do when craziness happens. Your relationship with God is not just attached to a trip to a building. He wants you to know you can know him intimately. You can know him personally. You don't have to wait till Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to get to know him. How many know he, he can be known on Monday? He can be known on Tuesday. He can be known on Wednesday. Come on, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I'm just letting you know if your religion is a Sunday morning only religion, and we call it SMOs, Sunday morning only. I got no problem with you only coming or me only coming on Sunday. I know life is busy, but my attachment to Jesus is not about my attachment to a building. I am the temple, and you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You can know him. You can know him. And he's laying there and, and he says, what do you want me to do? And the life of Saul is one that teaches us something about this whole issue of assignment. It first demands that you know him. And then God begins to do it immediately. He says to him, what do you want me to do? And uh, and Jesus says, I want you to go into the city and there I'll tell you what to do next. Now, if I'm, if I'm Saul and I say, tears coming down my face, I've seen Jesus, what do you want me to do? If, if, if Saul is like me and we are like Saul, what we would like is for Jesus to say, here's what I'm gonna do with your whole life. I'm gonna show you everything I'll do with your life. And you know what God says? Just get up and go to the city. You know why? Because God will give you steps to see if you can be patient enough to honor the steps so that you, see, we want the leaps of the Lord to be blessed, but the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Well, I want, I want to jump for, I want to do it all over. You got saved yesterday and you're trying to write books and go on TBN, chill out. The steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. Saul, what do you want me to do? He says to Jesus, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to get up and go into the city. And the reason I believe he put that instruction in Saul is to see if Saul could pass the test of faithfulness in little things. Because if you're gonna be used to write one third of the Bible, you got to be able to follow simple instructions. And there are some people in this room and listening to me online right now, you are frustrated because you're not doing 
doing big things, but the problem is you're still laying in the ground asking, what do you want me to do? And he already told you to get up and go to the city. One step, one decision, one act of obedience at a time. And what we want is something big, not understanding that it's the little steps of obedience that lead to great things in the kingdom. I'm not getting no help today. Well, I want, I want to be used mightily by God. Be obedient. Be obedient. So he says, I want you to get up and go into the city. And he goes, he's blind, first of all. He's blind as a badger. He can't see nothing. He, they, they pick him up and they take him to Damascus. And here's what the Bible says. They took him. I didn't see this, never saw this till today, but they took him to a house called Judas. Look at it. It's in, the, it's in the, I think it's the 11th verse of this ninth chapter. They took a blind apostle to the house of Judas. Judas is the New Testament transliteration of the Old Testament word Judah. I'm getting ready to preach myself into a fit. The first house God took the apostle to was the house of praise. I can't find no help. I'm going to let all y'all who are hungry for something else go get it. I'm going to preach this because it's down in my soul today. And somebody needs to understand that the first house God put the apostle in was not the house of theology, although I thank God for theology. It was not the house of application and preparation, although I thank God for activation and preparation. The first house that God took Saul to was a house of praise. I think everybody, whoever is going to be used in the kingdom of God is going to have to be launched from a house of praise. I think everybody who wants to be fit for the kingdom needs to get their beginning in the house of praise. That's why when you look at the church I was raised in, somebody might feel sorry for me. It was only 75 people. We beat on tambourines. They had washboards. The organ had missing keys. The piano was out of tune. We played banjos and we played strummed on guitars. We let people try out their instrument and we didn't even know if they ever played one before. But I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't feel sorry for me. It was between the beating of those tambourines and the clanging of those out of tune cymbals that I started learning that there's power in my praise. Some of you have lost it. Some of you have never found it. Some of you think God moves just out of his own sovereign will. But I come to tell you God is provoked when we praise him. When you lift up a praise, it activates the heavenlies. Saul got his start in the house of praise. Slap your neighbor and tell your neighbor this will be a house of praise. It'll be a house of hallelujahs. It'll be a house of praise ye the Lord. It'll be a house of hand clapping. It'll be a house of jumping and leaping for joy. This will be a house of praise. He, he said, watch this. He said, go down to the city. I'll tell you what to do next. They take him to the house of Judah. Now get this. Here's a man who's encountered Jesus and says, what do you want me to do? Go into the city. He goes into the city. Back to what I taught last week. When you get in alignment, God will change the people in your orbit. Watch this. The group of men who led him to Damascus got him to the city, but they couldn't get him into his assignment. So God goes into the prayer closet of a man named Ananias. Taps Ananias on the shoulder. This is all in Acts, 11, Acts 9. Taps Ananias on the shoulder and says, Ananias, I need you to go down to Damascus. Saul is blind, and I'm going to need you to pray for him. And, and Ananias is like, time out. This is the man that killed my friends and incarcerated my grandma. And I heard about him. And now you want me to go down and pray for this man? Isn't it funny 
how people who have a prayer life still operate in religion sometimes and cannot see that people who have a past also have a future. And sometimes there are people, oh yeah, I'm going to preach about this. Sometimes there are people who won't be used by God to be a blessing to somebody who has a past. But I came to tell you everybody in here has a past. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, sister, yeah, yeah, you and your long hair and all your long dresses and all them tongues you speak in. Oh yeah, Deacon Flip-Flop, you got all your awards and know the whole Bible, but you don't believe that one man can be saved by the power of God. He will always be identified by his past. I can't help him. Do you know what he used to do? I can't help her. I can't minister to them. I can't reach out for them. They've got a past. Well, you do too. And if God can save you from your past, you need to get with the program and thank God that although they are not what they're going to be because of Calvary, they are not who they used to be. He said, he said, do you know, do you know, this is the guy. And God said, I want you to go get in his orbit. Lay your hands on him. And he walks into the house. And he, this is so beautiful. He says, Brother Saul. <laughs> I think that's fascinating. Three weeks ago, he was killing church folk. Now he's part of the family. Brother Saul. Brother Saul, Sister Sally talked about me a month ago, tried to kill my integrity, but now we're family. Brother Saul, isn't it funny how the grace of God can make family out of foes? Who do you love today that you hated before Jesus really got a hold of you? Some of y'all are like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he still got some work to do on us. Because <laughs> you know you really got Christianity, not when you love those that have always been in your circle. <laughs> I'm saying something right here. But when you start loving people who were not in your orbit. So he comes in and he lays hands on him. And then several verses later, Saul is in the synagogue preaching. Here's what I want to talk to you about, about assignment. We often want God to tell us all that we're going to do and show us all that we're going to do. But God's grace to show you your assignment in life is often like, to me, it's like headlights on a car. When you get in your car tonight to go somewhere, if you go down to the Walmart or the Publix or the Piggly Wiggly or wherever you do your shopping, your lights, when you turn them on in your driveway, don't reach to the parking lot of the store you're going to. Your lights on your car only show light on the next 40 or 50 yards. You got to keep following the light. <laughs> Judah, that's good. Judah just said it. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is not a magic pill that shows me everything I'm... Can I tell y'all something and just be really honest with y'all? Had God showed me everything I was going to go through on my way to standing in front of you today, teaching this message today, look at me and listen, Linda, Linda, Linda. <laughs> Linda, I would have said no. Now, y'all can't understand. I know some people, don't, you judge me and you say, oh, he's not real. If he was real, he'd be happy. Oh, no. If you go through and, talk, and, and, and ask Jesus, because he said, if it's possible, let this pass for me. There's been some stuff I didn't know I would walk through. Had I known I was going to go through it, I'd have said, pick somebody else. Betrayal, frustration, delays, lies, pain, sorrow, I wouldn't have said yes, but he don't show you everything. He shows you what you need for the next step. So Paul starts preaching and doors start opening and people start hating. 
the man preaches in the synagogue and all the Jewish people get saved and the people who were not in the synagogue heard about the people in the synagogue getting saved and they tried to kill him. They had to put him in a basket and lower him down on the outside of the city and hide him from his haters. And he's, his entire life consisted of three missionary journeys, hopping in boats, living in caves, sleeping on top of people's roofs, incarcerated. We often have a big picture commercial of what God wants to do in our life. Rarely does he show all the details. And the problem for us is that we get the big picture and we miss like Joseph missed. We miss that the dream coming to pass includes a pit stop in the pit, being lied on by Potiphar's wife, some time incarcerated in the prison. I ain't finding no help in here. We get a dream and we're like, we're going to touch the world after you go through hell. You showed me a blessing. I didn't know I had to walk through a valley to get there. You showed me an anointing. I didn't know I'd have to be crushed to get it. You showed me a breakthrough. I didn't know I'd have to put a sling in a rock and kill a giant. But I am here to testify to you after 22 years that I once was young and now I'm old and never have I seen the righteous forsaken or his sin begging for bread. I'm not here to testify that it's always been easy. I'm not here to testify that it gets easier. But I am here to tell you it gets sweeter as the days go by. I'm going to let y'all go in a minute. Thank you, Lord. What I have come to discover is that God won't give you details when he downloads your destiny. He'll just give you a big picture and make you trust him every day. Well, I thought I would just get it all tomorrow. Oh, no. He wants to see you trust him. He wants to see you work it out. He wants to see you sweat a little bit. Why? Because I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Some of you want a destiny that doesn't require leaning on Jesus. No, no, no. He's not a sugar daddy. He's the lover of my soul. I refuse to accept the calling that I can achieve and accomplish without his grace and his mercy. Somebody in this room better hear me today. He's not giving you all the details. And the reason why you're having a nervous breakdown is because he showed you the big picture but didn't show you all the details. Let me help you understand something. If he loved you enough to show you the big picture, then you gotta trust him with the details. If you're walking through a season that don't make sense and doesn't line up with your prophecy, I'm telling you to hold on to your prophecy and know that what you're going through is temporary weeping. Only endure. Put me in E flat. Put me in E flat. Put me in E flat. I want to hear it. Yeah. Weeping only endures for a night. Joy comes in the morning. I'm tuning up to tell somebody that God is about to turn your weeping into laughter, your sorrow into joy. If your prophecy and your current situation don't line up, it doesn't mean that God lied to you because God is not a man that he should lie or the son of a man that he would change his mind. If he started it, he will finish it. If he promised it, he will perform it. You gotta learn how to look the devil in the eye and say, devil, I refuse to believe the report of my adversary. I shall believe the report of the Lord. Does anybody still trust God today? Does anybody still believe his word? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall abide for who did I come to preach to? My God, you gotta learn how to shout when your promise is on delay. Shout when your promise is suspended. 
stop when it hadn't happened yet. If he started it, he will finish it. Listen to me. I'm gonna get who? My guy almost shot down. I need to give you this and I'm gonna finish this next week. You and I need to understand something from the life of Paul regarding our assignment. And that is this. God wants you to get moving. Okay, there it was. Y'all trying to, what does he mean? Ready? Get moving. Activated. Why? Well, I'm waiting on my assignment. No, you're not. You're waiting on a microphone. Y'all was like, I should have left for lunch three minutes ago. Because I love Bishop till he said that, but he done made me mad. It's true. We have people waiting on a microphone, but a whole world is dying and going to hell. We have people waiting on a pulpit, but nobody wants to pick up a broom. Nobody wants to serve God. Nobody wants to go to a nursing home and preach to people who ain't even got a right mind. I'm telling you, somebody needs to get activated. Your coworkers don't even know who Jesus is. How can we run the nations when we can't even help our neighbor? Look at somebody tell them, get moving. Get moving. Get mo I'm waiting on the Lord. Stand still and see. No, no, no. Stop using scripture out of context. When the Bible said Moses told the people of Israel, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Do you know God rebuked Moses? He pulled him in the tent and said, I didn't tell you to stand still. He said, I told you to lead my people into the promised land. Walk yourself out there, stretch your rod out over the sea and take them out of here. I'm telling you, sometimes we want to sit and wait on something great while we miss the fact that God has said, go now, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Your assignment is unlocked and knowing Jesus. But here's what I want to tell you. You got to get activated. This is what I felt like the Lord spoke to me. Because somebody will come back and say, what if I'm doing something wrong? You ready for this? God cannot redirect a parked car. Okay, let me give you some Bible. Go to Acts 16. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to get out your hair your weave, your extensions, whatever you brought. <laughs> Toupee, I'm getting out. I told y'all that 10 minutes ago, but I lied. <laughs> I said it to keep you. Because I, I saw some of you looking at the door, so I used manipulation to keep you. <laughs> I love you, I'm kidding, okay? Watch, watch this, Acts 16. The Bible says this. Paul wanted to go to Asia. He wanted to go to Asia. And here's what your Bible says. The Holy Ghost said, no. I read that and I thought to myself, Samuel, it would be good if Paul went to Asia. Asia needs to hear the gospel. But here's what I need to tell you about your assignment. Not every noble thing you want to do for God is God's will for your life. And here's what I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me, Pastor Richie, early in prayer this morning. God said to me, the secret to finding your assignment in life is in not getting bitter when he kept you from doing something you wanted to do for him. I'm going to rewind that. Sometimes we want to do things for God that are good and noble. I'm going to go to Asia and win Asia for God. And the Holy Spirit forbid. That's a very strong word in the Greek, by the way. 
It's not like he said, Paul, we can't do that. It was like this. No! Some of y'all are like, oh, I ain't leaving now. Praise God. We go. That's what it was. He forbid him. He said, you cannot go to Asia. Asia is good. But Asia is not God. And most people miss their assignment because they get bitter at this. I'm getting ready to drop a bomb right here. We get bitter at God when he doesn't allow us to do something we wanted to do for him. And when you cannot keep your joy, even when he says no, you stand back from your assignment. God didn't say no to Asia because he didn't believe in Paul. He said no to Asia because Europe was calling. You got to know your assignment. It might seem like a good thing, but is it a God thing? Remember that? And so God forbids him to go and what happens? He has a vision in the night. And what does he see? A man from Macedonia. This is the Wallace Unauthorized Translation. Yo, Paul. Yo, bro, come over here. Help a brother out. Paul goes to Macedonia. From there he goes to Troas. He goes to Samothrace. He goes to the islands and he begins a missionary journey that birthed many of the early churches. Hear me. Your assignment at times will have to be redirected. You were doing something and you wanted it to be God and he forbid it. If you get bitter at God in those moments, I am talking to some people right now. If you get bitter at God in those moments, it keeps heaven from being able to send you clarity about your assignment. How long are you going to stand at the door of Asia? And God is saying, can't do that. I need you to go over here. What? Are you wanting to do for God that you want to be your assignment? And let me help you understand something. It's not evil and he's not going to punish you for wanting to do it. He's just going to redirect you. And he can't redirect a parked car. Which is why I told you, get moving. Even if you're moving toward Asia and it's not your direction, he can redirect a moving car. All he got to do is put on the GPS the grace positioning system. All he got to do is turn on the GPS and say, I know you want Asia, but if you'll trust me, I got some over here in Troas. I got some over here in Macedonia. I got some over here in Europe. I know you want to go to Asia, but I'm trying to get the printing press and the Bible written and I'm trying to get, come on here somebody, you got to see this. God is up to something. Even in the no. He's actually giving you clarity for your assignment. Don't get bitter. Stand with me. This one ends differently today. There are people in this room getting ready to discover that what he forbid actually positioned you to know your assignment. When he forbids, I'll never forget being 20 years, 21 years old. I've told this story maybe a few times. 21 years old, Devin and I had just been married in maybe a year. Jeremiah wasn't even born yet. I had preached several revivals in a church in Florida, and I won't say where. And the, the revivals were blessed. God moved mightily. The pastor was a sweet, seasoned, aged man. And he called me. I was 21. He called me and he said, Kevin, I want you to come back and preach a revival. And I want you to stay. I want you to stay with me and be my associate for six months. 
after six months, I'm going to be the pastor emeritus and I want you to be the pastor of the church. This church ran about four or 500 people. I'm 21. He said, and I want you to buy our house from us. We own it so you don't have to go to the bank. I'll charge you 1% interest. I'll never forget this. It was 10 minutes from the beach. This is God. I'm 21 years old, 10 minutes from the beach. I don't have to get alone. And I'm just going to tell you what I was making. I'll just be honest with you. I was making $24,000 a year. He said, I'll pay you $75,000 a year. I'm 21. We're talking about 1990, 2001. Y'all, Devin and I, we were like the Jeffersons. We're moving on up <laughs> to that deluxe. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. Y'all, y'all ain't seen no good TV. Y'all watch all that garbage. I'm talking about the stuff that'll really set you free. Moving on up. Okay, that's it. That's enough. I'll get carried away. Start talking like Sanford and son. Watch. Massive raise, amazing place, 10 minutes from the beach, 21 years old, senior pastor. This is a blessing. I promise you, before heaven, this is how it went. I went in my prayer closet after he called me. I got down on my knee. When my knee hit the floor, I went like this and I heard the Lord say, no! And I went like this, Satan, I bind. You better get, you better, you trying to steal my joy. Get under my feet. That's it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, let's try this again. That's the flesh. I'm going to pray again, okay? Father, no! I forbid you to go. I was so conflicted, I went to Devin's pastor, who was my pastor at that time, because I, I was in evangelism. We had just gotten married, and when we weren't on the road preaching, we went to her home church, and I went to him, and I said, I need some wisdom, because I'm feeling conflicted. I think I just am struggling with God being good to me. That's what I said. <laughs> I'm struggling with accepting the goodness of God. So I'm here for you to talk me into this. And he looks at me, and he goes, that's not God's will for your life. I said, Oh, no, the devil's talking to him, too. I'm like, I'm going to get me a new pastor. He said, that's not God's will for your life. He said, actually, God been talking to me about you, son. Bro, I don't want him to talk to you. I want him to talk to me. He said, God showed me he brought you to this church to help us get to the next level and I'm gonna offer you a job today. And I said, um, I don't know about that. How am I gonna go home and tell Devin, we're not moving to the beach. We're staying in your hometown. <laughs> I followed God. I, d I didn't go to that church in Florida. I went to Devin's home church, had a great two years. And three or four weeks after I said no to that church in Florida, that pastor, who's precious and in heaven today, had made some bad financial decisions and was actually found guilty of embezzling money. And had I went there, I would have sunk with him. And oftentimes, we think God just sees up the road, but he doesn't. He sees what's around the corner. And if he says no to Asia, trust him. Don't get bitter. Keep your joy and trust him because your assignment will be unlocked in him being able to say no to Asia and you saying, I'm good with it. I wanted to do it. <laughs> you know, I like that beach thing. And some of y'all acting spiritual like you don't, you know, I wouldn't move to know. Okay, you don't have to, but Devin and I, we love sand. But that wasn't God. This is God. 
I would not be here and you wouldn't be here. And I folded up my arms and said, I'm going anyway. I learned a long time ago. Trusting Jesus is all that matters. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Here's where I think we need to throw our hands up right here and take it. Oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm going to finish this message next week, but today we finish it with this thought. Maybe this is not for everybody, but what, let me say it like this. Who is in this room right now in a season where you feel like God is forbidding something? I know it's not everybody. I know it's uncomfortable, but who in this building or online today is going through a season where you feel like you wanted something to work out? Maybe it was a ministry, a church, an opportunity, a business, an adoption, a promotion. I don't know what it was, but you said, I want this. And it's, it's not that it was bad. It just God forbid it. You wanted it to be your assignment, but God forbid it. And today you just need to release some stuff and say, I'm going to trust you. If I'm talking to you, and I know I'm not talking to everybody, but if I'm talking to you, just close those eyes, throw those hands up and get it off of you right now. Just the pressure. I know it ain't everybody, but somebody needs to take full advantage of this moment right now. God's just going to take some pressure. Some, in fact, if, if there's somebody got their hand up near you right now, just reach over lovingly, real gently, in faith. Lean, lay your hand on their shoulder. Lord, I just come into agreement with my brothers and sisters right now that what you forbid is actually... A setup, uh huh, a setup for greater. What you said no to was actually a yes to something else. I pray for a redirection today from the no and a redirection toward the yes. We are going to trust you in this. Somebody in this room today, it's a relationship. You wanted to marry somebody and it didn't happen like you thought. I'm telling you right now, the Lord is working in the no and you got to trust him in the no. I know this is not for everybody, but let me prophesy to somebody who it's for. Somebody needs to get their peace back, their joy back, their focus back because your future, listen to me, God is far too wise and much too powerful to put your happiness and joy into somebody else's hands. He's got it in his hands and you're going to have to trust him in this season because he's not through yet. He's not through yet. Father, I pray the word of God would be sealed today. I pray for a divine alignment to come up. Just lift your hands and receive this. I pray for divine alignment to start happening over assignments. Keep us from getting emotionally invested from acting like we know the future. Father, we don't know all the details, so what we're gonna to commit to today is to trust you one day at a time, one step at a time. We're gonna be faithful when we don't get our way. We're gonna keep our joy when it doesn't happen like we thought it would because we trust you, oh God. I trust that you're good. I trust that you've got a plan. I trust that you're sovereign. I trust that you're able. I trust that you're capable to fulfill what you spoke over my life. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I say yes, Lord, yes. We got to go, but I feel some old songs. To your will and to your way, I say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart I'll agree how many got a yes before we go lift your hand right now my answer will be yes seal this word keep your people align our lives for your purpose and your glory in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. I love you.
Don't forget prayer Tuesday, 7 noon and 7 p.m. Also Wednesday night, pray for wild ones. Join us. We love you. Go in the peace of the Lord. May you be blessed in this week and all that you do. Well, I trust that the Word of God is working in your heart in this moment. I know the Word works. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Maybe something said today has touched your heart. Maybe you feel like you are so far away from God. How could I ever get right with God? Friend, I want to tell you, there is a way to get right with God. It's through His Son, Jesus. Today, if you'll turn your heart and your life over to Him, I don't care what you've done and how bad it was, how long you've been doing it and how messed up you feel. Jesus is a friend to sinners. He'll come into your life. He'll turn it all the way around and change it. I believe by the Spirit of God, He's doing that right now. Let's pray. Open your heart and say, Dear God, come into my life and forgive me of all my sin. Lord Jesus, I need you to wash me and make me new. I confess that I've been a sinner, and today I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Turn my life over to you, Lord Jesus. Come in and be the king of my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, friend, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know the day's not the finish line. It's just the beginning. Go to kevinwallace.tv. Just drop us a line on our prayer request area. Let us know that you got saved. You gave your life to Christ. We want to make sure you have a Bible. We want to make sure you get plugged into a good Bible-believing church full of the Spirit of God. Listen, the journey has just begun, and the best days of your life are in front of you. We're praying for you, for you here at Kevin Wallace Ministries. Can't wait to see what God does in your life. We love you all. God bless.